And today as we celebrate July 4th, we're going to do a very patriotic thing and look at the book of Jonah and uh, finish Jonah. So if you've got a Bible, uh, whether you're here in person or online, you can begin turning there, page 775 in my Bible if that helps you. If you get to Matthew, you've gone too far. It's just after Amos and Obadiah, Daniel kind of is right before it. Uh, and so you can begin turning there. Uh, as I think about Jonah, Jonah is this kind of unique story. And in modern culture, we get caught up in one part of Jonah's story, and perhaps we miss the real point. Uh, most of us get caught up in Jonah being swallowed by a giant fish, staying in the belly of the fish for three days, and then being spit out onto dry land. And of course, a few weeks ago, we have a real-life example of that up on, off the northeast coast where a lobster diver uh, was swallowed by a whale, kept in there for a seconds or minutes, who knows, and then spit back out, and he survived. Uh, no broken bones, lived to tell, and even give two thumbs up while he was in the hospital. Because thumbs up, I guess, is the sign you do when you get swallowed by a whale. But we miss the big point of Jonah. The big point of Jonah is not that Jonah got swallowed by a whale and spit back out. The big point of Jonah is that an entire city repented and turned from God. That was the big story in the book of Jonah. That's, that's the climactic moment in this story. If they were making a movie, that would be the, the edge of your seat moment. Jonah's preaching this eight-word sermon all throughout the city, walking from place to place, gets all the way to the king. The king repents, the people repent, and they turn to God. What a great story that people turn to God, that repent of their sin and turn back to him. We, we kind of gloss over that part sometimes we're talking about Jonah because being swallowed by a whale, for us, might be a little more exciting. But the truth is, people turning to God is the exciting part. And so we're going to wrap up the book today. Uh, Jonah got this call from God to go to Nineveh. He ran the other direction, went to the south of, tried to go to the south of Spain, didn't work out too well, swallowed by a fish, spit out, took a month journey to get to Nineveh, preaches this mean sermon, 40 days, and Nineveh's going to be overthrown, and he's mad about it the whole time. Nineveh repents and turns from their wickedness. They follow after God. They are in sackcloth and ash, and, and they turn and place their faith in the one true God, Yahweh. God relents. He doesn't punish them. He doesn't destroy their city. He shows compassion and mercy. And so the result should be excitement and joy. Man, hundreds of thousands of people turned to God. But in reality for Jonah, the story was very different. And so I wonder in our lives, as we think about Jonah, as we think about people who are our enemies, who are against us, who don't think like us, who don't believe like us, who don't act like us, do you ever get mad when one of those people succeeds? Your silence is deafening. <laughs> you ever been angry that somewhat, someone got away with something and you didn't? Good, good answer. Thank you. Yes. 
What about those evil people in the world? Because we all have them labeled. What about if one of those evil people succeeds? What's our thought? Boo, exactly right. Hey, this is July 4th. Let's get excited today. You need to be at Centennial Park today, uh, tonight, because our choir, you didn't see them today, but they were here. Uh, they're going to sing uh, the national anthem and another song before the big fireworks and a huge thing. So rain or shine, get out there and celebrate with them. But we get mad when evil people succeed and we don't. Jonah was mad that these evil people received grace and compassion. They actually obeyed God and he got mad about it. After preaching the shortest sermon in history, they turned from their wickedness and Jonah is upset. And so let's see how he responds to these folks turning from their wicked ways. Look in Jonah chapter four. God relents, disaster is not coming, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was in, yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? We'll come back to that in a minute. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth, that's a kind of a tent, a canopy, for himself. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And shall I not pity Nineveh? the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. The cattle were a bonus. Jonah is mad. And, and not just mad. Jonah is angry, fit to be tied. Whatever idiom you might use for the most angry you can be, that's him. So much so that the, the wording that he uses here, he was exceedingly displeased. That phrase actually means that Jonah 
believed that what God did was evil. He was so angry that he thought what God did by sparing the Ninevites was actually evil. That's how mad he was. That's how angry he was. That's how displeased he was with what God had done. God didn't do what Jonah wanted him to do. God said 40 days and Nineveh would be overthrown. God, you didn't do what you said you were going to do. Perhaps Jonah felt betrayed in this moment. Perhaps God's mercy had betrayed him. The same compassion he received on the boat God was using for the Ninevites and Jonah didn't like it. He didn't want any part of it. It was actually mean of God to spare these people. Even though Jonah had experienced the same mercy and compassion months earlier. But he was mad. This is why he fled for the south of Spain, because it's beautiful this time of year. And he rationalizes his disobedience, which I know you and I never do. We, he rationalizes disobedience. Because God, this is what you always do. That's why I ran away. That's why I disobeyed you, because you're steadfast and true and merciful and compassionate. And I don't like that, and so I ran away. And then Jonah has the audacity to lecture God about God. That's what verse 2 is all about. He throws God's character back in God's face, metaphorically speaking. Oh Lord, this is why I left, this is why I ran away, because he almost quotes Exodus 34 right here, which talks about God's compassion. You're a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. God, these are all the things you are, and I don't like it. At least when it comes to the Ninevites. It's okay for me, but not for them. God, why did you stay true to your character? How dare you? How dare you? He uses God's attributes as a reason to complain rather than to praise, which is what we do sometimes too. We complain when God blesses others, when he shows compassion to others, when he changes the life of someone else that we think is too far gone or shouldn't be redeemed, and we forget about how much redemption it took for us. We forget about how much compassion it took for us. We forget about how much mercy it took for us, the same level of mercy and compassion and grace. And so we use God's character against him just like Jonah did. And then he says to God, just end it. Put me out of my misery. Which is a theme for Jonah. Jo Jonah's solution for everything is just get rid of me. Which is a horrible solution. And that's the worst solution ever because God appointed Jonah to be a part of this amazing story. God appointed Jonah to be the missionary to this great city, to be a part of this God-sized story. And when Jonah was on the boat and it was going crazy, the storm was on, what was his solution? Throw me overboard. 
And then here, well, God, here's the solution. I'm so mad, just end it. No. Because God wants us all to be a part of his great story. Every one of us. No matter your background, no matter where you are today, no matter where you think you'll be in the future, you're a part of God's story. And so the reminder for you and me as we look at this line here is that we've got to remember that obedience, unwilling obedience, is just as bad as disobedience. Jonah goes to Nineveh and preaches this sermon and he's mad about it. He, he's praying against the Ninevites that they don't repent. That's not obedience. God wants our hearts to be changed as well. And so the wishy-washy prophet here, Jonah, who can't decide if he wants God's love just for himself or for anyone else, and he wants his, God's compassion and grace on his terms and not on God's terms. And at the end of all this, God is kind of done. You, you can get a sense, you know, I don't read emotion into the Lord, but since I'm not God, I'm going to. Do you do well to be angry? Huh. How's this look on you, Jonah? You ever looked in the mirror when you're mad? You ever asked your spouse or your parents or a sibling to like take a photo of you when you're mad? No, you've never done that. But just ask them one time, how do I look when I'm mad? Well, you look like a fool. Because we all do. Anger doesn't look good on anybody. And so, Jonah, do you have any right to be angry? Are you justified in your anger? That my great compassion and love extends to all people? Do you have a right to be angry about that? The same love and compassion you experience? Well, Jonah doesn't respond, which is our same response when we don't have an argument to we can't win the argument. We say, oh, whatever, and we walk away. That's our solution is whatever or fine. But Jonah just remains silent and leaves the city. Because he's missed the point. And so he goes outside the city and he sets up his canopy that he got from Academy, the 10 by 10. And he, and he sits in it. And if you look at verse 5, verse 5 tells you that Jonah still doesn't get it. Jonah goes to the city, outside of the city, sits under the shade to see what would become of the city. Jonah is still hoping beyond all hope that God would destroy Nineveh. Maybe it's only day 38. So two days I'll hang out here. Maybe God will come through for me. Maybe God will actually do what I want him to do and destroy these people. And so he goes and camps out. folds his arms and pouts, hoping that the train wreck will happen, hoping the disaster will come, all the while blinded by the truth of God's love. He's thrown him a towel. He just quit. He just walks away. He's done. I'm going to go sit under my little tent 
and hope for the worst. And sometimes that's what we are. We just throw in the towel. I'm done. I can't handle you people anymore. I'm out. And we hope and pray that God will just take care of you. Zap you. And God doesn't do any of that. No, what God does is he goes with Jonah outside the city. And he's there with Jonah. Jonah doesn't know it, but God's there. And God makes this plant grow up, a vine to grow up and give him some shade. This is the craziest moment in the story. Because it's the first time in this entire episode, this entire month after month, uh, you know, saga that Jonah's been on, that Jonah expresses happiness. The first time. Because a plant grew up over his tent and gave him some shade. He was exceedingly pleased. Jonah is more excited about a plant but the great love of God. What are you most excited about in your life? And then God helps Jonah understand who's in charge. Because Jonah is selfish. Finally, God's taking care of me. It's about time. Look at all this I've done. Went and preached to that city, those pagans, heathens. I still think they ought to die, but I did what God said to do. Selfish. And now finally God's rewarding me with some shade. Oh, Jonah. The sun rises the next day. The worm comes and kills that plant. The scorching east wind And then Jonah again, it's better for me to die because I lost the plant. This is just unbelievably dumb. The problem is I could recount this story in my own life just using different things than plants. About how dumb decisions that we all make that are so self-absorbed that we miss the bigger point of what God's trying to do. And so God asks, are you angry about the plant? You better believe I am. That's his answer. You betcha. Angry enough to die over a dead plant. Now, I don't have a green thumb. Some of you might. I don't at all. We've received when one of my grandparents died from the church. So, you know, thank you. Several years ago now. And we, we managed to milk that thing for a while and make it grow, or maybe we that, not make it grow, make it survive. But at some point, one of us forgot to water it, or we were gone and it didn't get watered, and then it sort of just slowly, and, and for about the last year, there's been one kind of, I don't even know how to describe it, gangly, pitiful, probably is the better word, greenish brown stalk that's it one so finally we just threw it away 
It's a plant. And yes, it had some special meaning for our family, but it's a plant. And I didn't take care of it very well. But Jonah didn't do anything for this plant. He didn't do anything. And he's ready to die over a plant that he had no control over. And God helps him understand what God's all about. Jonah, you didn't create that plant. You didn't nurture that plant. That plant only benefited you. And so who am I that I would care for the people that I created, the people that I nurture, the people that I sustain, the people that I bless, the people that I care for, 120,000 of them. These people who don't know their right hand from their left hand, who are ignorant about what they should do, how they should live, where they should go, what they should believe in, how they should act toward one another. I care for them. I have compassion on them. And I'm going to draw them to myself. But Jonah, you only care about yourself. And this is the hard part of the passage to me that this whole book was Jonah really that self-absorbed? Was he really that selfish and didn't care for people? That, that, that could be true, that he only cared about himself. And I think there are seasons in our lives where we don't care about anybody but ourselves. And that's a bad place to be. That's a bad place to be. But, but I wonder if there were some other things at play in Jonah's life. Perhaps Jonah did care about people, but he only cared about certain people, namely the people of Israel, God's chosen people. Maybe he cared about those who would follow Yahweh, those who, were, who God set apart. And so I care about them. In, in our context, it would be, oh, I care about the church. I care about Christians. I care about people who are like-minded with me. And everyone else, you get what you deserve. We, we do this with our kids where we care about people when it's convenient for us. If one of my boys, my parents did the same thing to me, so this is generational. It's generational for your family too, I'm confident. When one of our boys comes home and says, oh, I got an 87 on my test, we're like, what, 87? Some of you might be rejoicing over that. Uh, and then they'll often, because today, thanks to technology, you know what the average class grade is because you can just go on you know, Canvas and make it happen. Well, the class average was 82, Dad. I don't care what other people make. I care about what you make. And then they'll come home with a 94. 94, oh, okay, what was the class average? 97. 97, how come you can only make a 94? We only care about people when it's convenient for us. 
Maybe that was Jonah. It was only convenient for him to care about certain people at certain times. Or maybe Jonah was afraid of what would happen when he got back to Israel. What what are my countrymen going to say to me when the word spreads that our enemy, the Assyrians, have repented and turned to Yahweh? And I was the one that helped make that happen. I was the mouthpiece for God's message. What are they going to say? What are they going to do to me? How are my fellow believers going to respond when I follow the message of God's calling to go and share with those who are far from God and, and that person actually repents? What are my fellow Christians going to say? Or maybe Jonah was upset because these Ninevites who were pagans, idol worshipers, misguided, they actually listened to his message. They actually heard from God. And yet Jonah's own people, the Israelites, were falling further and further and further away in their obedience to God. These pagans who were the enemy to all listened to the voice of God and heard the voice of God and yet the people of God because of their prosperity had begun to ignore God. Maybe that's what made Jonah mad. But Jonah's in a dilemma here. He understands in his mind what God is all about because he shared with God what God is all about. But he can't comprehend the mercy of God extended to others. I don't know that it's that Jonah doesn't care about people. I think it's that Jonah misunderstands God's mercy. He misunderstands the compassion of God. He misunderstands God's love for all people. And even though he had experienced the mercy of God, he couldn't extend that same mercy to others. That's not just true of Jonah. That's true of us sometimes. That we're more than happy to receive mercy but sometimes it's very difficult to give it. When someone wrongs us, when someone betrays us, when someone sins, not just against us, but against God, and they walk away or they are in error, it's hard to extend mercy. And yet we've experienced his mercy over and over and over again. That's the beautiful picture of this story. That's the beautiful picture of the Ninevites. That God used an unwilling missionary to go into a city of enemies and share a harsh, 
truthful message about God's wrath and justice. And those people heard the message and turned to faith and received the mercy and love of God. That's an amazing story. It's a story of mercy. It's a story that all of us have to share. Not have to, have to share. We all have that same story. That God has been merciful to me, compassionate to me, gracious to me, steadfast in his love for me. And so I'm gonna share those things with you. And so I wanna leave you as we wrap up this sermon series on Jonah. I wanna leave you with some lessons just to kind of take with you and say, okay, when I think about Jonah, I'm gonna think about more than the belly of the fish, okay? I'm gonna think about one of those. First, uh, recognize God has a sovereign plan. God's plan is bigger than your plan and my plan. He has a plan for all people in all time, and that plan is unchanging, and the good news a part of that is that you're a part of that plan. The great news is that you're a part of God's sovereign plan to reach a world who doesn't know him, who doesn't know their right hand from their left hand. Their right hand from their left hand, so you can see it. That he, he's using us, that is the plan. The sovereign plan is to use teenagers, preteens, young adults, adults, meeting adults, senior adults, to reach people who don't know the truth of Jesus Christ. They don't know the truth about repentance and salvation. They don't know the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. We are a part of his sovereign plan. And when you and I get to be a part of that sovereign plan as willing missionaries, as excited missionaries, as obedient missionaries, then we get to rejoice with those who repent. That's the second lesson. We need to rejoice with those who repent. That's not always easy. Just look at the prodigal son. It wasn't easy for the older brother to rejoice when his little brother came home. It's not easy always to rejoice when people repent. The sidebar of that lesson is that we need to be people of repentance. That you and I need to be people who repent, who confess our sins. Because we know that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, those that we remember and those that we don't remember. And so if I'm a person of repentance, if I'm constantly recognizing the fact that I have been extended great mercy and I want to confess when I've wandered from the love and the grace and the compassion of God and I want to turn back to that, then it's going to be a lot easier for me to rejoice when someone else does the same. And so I want to be a person of repentance. I will rejoice with those who repent. And then realize your selfishness hinders you the most. Your selfishness will probably hurt you the most as well. It will hurt others. Uh, see Jonah and his sailor friends. But selfishness will hinder us the most. It, it will prevent you 
from experiencing joy like God has for you. It will hinder you from opportunities to see people grow in their faith. It will hinder you from experiencing true friendship. Jonah, in this last chapter, he uses the word I more than nine times because it was all about him. Our life is not about us. We're called to give our lives away because that's what Jesus did. He gave his life away. And so may we be people who live selfless lives, not selfish lives. As I share all the time, even though I'm not on Facebook very much, one of my quotes on Facebook is, the reward for service is more service. Not a pat on the back, not you're the man, not way to go, not, oh, hey, why don't you take a break for a couple years now that you've served? No, the reward for service is more service. The reward for giving my life away is me giving my life away more. That's the reward. Because in those moments, I become more like Jesus Christ, the person who I'm following, who I desire to live my life after. And so don't let selfishness hinder you. And then finally, because I vainly attempted to make all four R's, which I never do, remember God's love, mercy, and discipline extend to everyone. Everyone. We, we, we like those first two, love and mercy. The, the third one for us sometimes is tough. Or we actually want it for everyone else and not for us. But God loves everyone. He cares for everyone. He wants to have a relationship with everyone. He wants to see everyone come to repentance and establish a relationship with him. Because he is our creator he loves us unconditionally. And if you're paying attention to the story of Jonah, there was only one thing that was destroyed in the entire saga. One thing. A vine. That was the only thing that experienced destruction. Because God is a God of love and mercy and compassion. And he wants the people of Nineveh, he wanted the people of Nineveh to follow after him. He wanted Jonah to follow after him. And so his discipline for Jonah was to destroy a vine, part of his discipline. That was it. Not a city, not a nation, no, a simple plant. Because his love and mercy extends to all. And so whoever it is in your life, whoever is your Ninevite, because most of us have one or 20, God is sending you to them as a missionary to give his love and grace and mercy, to show his compassion and kindness to be steadfast in your love for them because he is steadfast in his love for you and for them. Because God is on a constant, unrelenting pursuit for you and me and others. And so may we be willing 
missionaries. May we be obedient spreaders of the gospel. Will you pray with me?